back in New York. Yeah, it's I've just been sitting here the whole time. Is that a more polite thing to ask what's going on instead of how are you? You're supposed to say uh, in manager circles, one time someone gave me the tip, you're supposed to ask, how's life? Like, but you're supposed that to ask That sounds kind of deep. Well, that's the whole point. You're supposed oh. to get to something where, you know, the, the response is not yes or no, or yeah. like good or bad. And not like, hey, how's your sex life? That should not be the first <laughs> that's question. Too far. That's yeah. Too far. Not in management circles. Yeah. Um, what should we talk about? Well, we do. I mean, we can jump straight into questions. We do. Have well, we, we, we did the, the thing we're not supposed to do. We talked a little bit before the episode. So we, yeah, so we're burnt out on, on each other. We're like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what, you're back from Amsterdam, though. But I wanted to ask you, I didn't ask you in our call beforehand, which we're not supposed to do. But how was travel like again? Because that's your first travel post pandemic, right? No, I, I went to the Netherlands Maybe three times during the pandemic. That's true. You because, kind of ignored the whole pandemic, didn't you? Yeah. I can, and you went to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. like what, uh, what pandemic? It never stopped. Well, uh, I didn't break any laws. It's just I have both nationalities and then uh, I'm allowed to go yeah. back and forth. But I, I, I have a show right now in Tokyo and I couldn't go. Or if I wanted to go, I would have to quarantine in a hotel room for two weeks. Man. And you really can't leave the room for two weeks, and that just didn't seem appealing to me. So even with the Olympic stuff, they didn't figure out something better, I guess. Well, apparently, no fan, no fans from outside of Japan or yeah. Olympics. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not very hopeful that there's. We have this hope, like, oh, it'll just be gone. But I think mm. it, it, it won't be gone. There will be variants. Will be vaccine updates. I think. I don't know when travel will become normal, but I'm not expecting it to be normal for the next five years. Like, I expect lots of tests and, and complications. And Well, and there are lots of places where people are still not able to get vaccines. Like yeah, exactly. Like Indonesia or a lot of Africa. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Canada, we just surpassed the Americans in terms of vaccination rate. And I feel a little bit guilty because I've had three vaccines. And I, sh- I uh, you're, you're a vaccine hoarder. Yeah, I'm like a... <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the third was the worst. I was was it the week. was it the same type? No, no, I've had three different kinds. I, I'm only missing one on my scratch card. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. The Johnson and Johnson, gotta get what it. What do you call it? The Bionic Man, huh? harder, faster, better, stronger. I think you know that's the way I'm justifying it morally because I think it's humble bragging. Otherwise, like, um, I'm like. I, I think of me as like an anti-vaxxer like experiment on the other side. They'll be like, you can't mix vaccines. I'll be like, just watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, but pro- they probably think I'm going to die. Yeah. But it, I, no, I think every, all the science shows it's, it's actually good. It's, but, yeah, it improves your immune system. But this might be useful for our listeners. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of my friends thought, oh, I'll get the vaccine and then I can travel. So, so my nephew or cousin was going to travel to the U.S. to see his cousins graduate. Yeah. And he had booked his ticket and did the vaccine test with his kids. Because even if you're vaccinated, you still have to do a test before travel. He mm-hmm. had to do a quick test, so like 200 bucks a person, three people, oh, yeah. rented a car, bought the tickets, and he gets to the airport and they're like, uh, you're not allowed to go to the U.S. What are you talking about? And he had spent oh, all this money, so be careful and really find out if you're allowed to travel because the that's why I'm worried. There's just developing a document standard internationally. It's not that easy when you see how easy it is to forge things and yeah, yeah. 
In Canada, we have an app called Arrive Can, and you like upload your vaccines to it and stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, there's an app for New York State, and then I tried to upload my vaccine date, and it just couldn't find my data, so it was like, sorry. Yeah, I don't really yeah like believe the government's great at at, at apps usually like <laughs> record keeping. Yeah. It's actually a good segue into the question um, yeah. that we have today in terms of like. You know, can they, yeah, just data and where do you put it? Um, but I, I would just, yeah, I just, uh, it, to summarize to our listeners, if you plan on traveling, probably just go within your country and discover things. So it's probably the yeah, safest. Yeah, actually, before we move on to the question, you got a car and so you, you're able to drive around the country now too, right? Not just fly. Well, I can't drive, but Christina can drive. But it, it's... Yeah, well, you have a chauffeur. Yeah. Well, we, we ordered a car and it takes three months. Uh, we ordered a Mini, well, but we wanted a cool oh, color okay. and... I was going to ask you about that because, um, like, I bought a car last year and it's worth more today than it was. No, last I know, year I know, I know. But the thing is, uh, we don't have a parking spot with a supercharger. No, no, no. But I, I hear all cars have it just because there's a huge car shortage due to this TMC. Oh yeah, yeah. We we couldn't get the beefy TMC stereo in the in the car because of the chip shortage. So. But, oh really? Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> no stereos. Yeah, that was the only thing, the option, but the. I, I mean, so I would funny. have, I would have loved to have a Tesla. Like we test drove your Tesla, and it was wonderful. Mm. But there's a parking garage near us, but it doesn't have charges for every parking spot, and it just seems yeah. like a nightmare here. So we went with yeah, the gas. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, I know I had to get a lawyer to lobby my building and stuff like that. So I, it's not for everyone. I'm like definitely an early adopter, but. Uh, the stereo is great. So you have no stereo at all? No, no, we, like we have a stereo, stereo, but it's the basic one. And uh, yeah, mm. it, it's a convertible. So I thought you really need some a bit of power in the sound system to overpower the highway. But yeah. Question for you, just because it's Raphael Rosenthal I'm talking to. Is there a web browser in your car? That's a good question. Well, it does have uh, CarPlay, the Apple thing. So oh, if there you, you attach okay. your phone, yeah. All right, great. So we can both uh, look at uh, your NFTs on... <laughs> Exactly. In our car, respective cars. Yeah, it's not a car unless you can watch NFTs. <laughs> unless you can buy an NFT from your car. Yeah, yeah. No, because the car has a phone. Cars are replacing our like are being called like smartphones and stuff. So but Tesla that. doesn't have CarPlay, I guess. No, but the, it's the the baked in our operating systems like far ab- above what yeah. you would normally get. Does in it car. does it use Google Maps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they they did let Google in. Yeah, just to the maps part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have their own proprietary map system. It's like its own routing system, but it uses the Google satellite data. Oh, okay. And routing data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, so moving on. Question from um, Sophie Ringstadt. Yeah, Sophie, thanks for sending this in. Let's take a listen. Hello, Jeremy and Raphael. Here's Sophie Ringstadt, and I have a question for you. Um. I've been doing some research myself on this topic lately, and I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on um, how you store your digital archive, so to speak. Do you store your digital files in physical hard disks, or do you store it in the so-called cloud? And also, I would love to hear your thoughts on the on the past and present and future of digital file storage. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Sophie. I almost mm-hmm. said soda, but it's a dog. Uh, I can't believe it's taken this long to get this question. It's such a like... Um, best practice. Know. 
Well, our friend Ben Fino Radin, who uh, has a whole company dedicated to this, or did, I, I know that the pandemic was tough on him. Um, he is special. He, I always just ask him for advice on this question, but he always gives me advice that I think is like way over the top. Like, yeah, is... he, he's more like a James Bond levels data storage. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, it, how many nuclear holocausts do you want to survive? One or two or three? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, how deep underground do we need to dig the hole for this hard drive? Yeah, yeah. You know, how many layers of concrete must it be encased in? Yeah. So, but the first, uh, that, the, the first question, I think anyone uh, who's into data storage, I would say, don't save too much. Mm. That would be my first advice. Like, do you really need? What do you it? mean by that? Like, throw away um, all your screen grabs? <laughs> yeah, stuff like. Well, for example, my. The way I save our personal photos is I don't save more than 100 photos a year. Wow. Because I Cause really feel like, do you really make more than 100 good photos per year? Well, it's about editing it down. So you, you throw away a bunch that you don't think are of yeah. great value. But that's mm. the thing. So once you decide, I'm not going to keep everything. And if you have that approach in general, when you're like, I'm going to keep what's important and keep files small and all the stuff, then everything else after that becomes easier. Yeah, I mean, historically, my problem was, like, I started out in video art and everything was on tapes, right? So, you know, first you have the raw footage that you need to store on a tape and then you have the different edits and then you have the digital files and you have the, not just the, the, you know, the final files, but the files that went into making the I, thing. Yeah, I, I, had, and, I had all these video classes in art school and I just saw the lifestyle attached to it. And it's like these racks and racks of all kinds of ways of storing data. And I was like, that's not the life I want. The whole thing, yeah. Like video art is the history of storing data, basically. Um, because it's the, the biggest the form of data. Like when you think about mm -hmm. it, like a poet can store all their data, their whole body of work in one text file. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think like the formats evolved. Like in my lifetime as an artist, you know, starting out maybe in the early two thousands, late nineties. At the did you have Firewire when you started? Yeah, yeah, but like the formats for both the tapes and then eventually like the formats for files evolved so much over that period of time. Like I went from VHS, right? Like think about it, right? Like or eight millimeter uh, digital. Yeah, now you could go even further back, but like, you know, people that were on three quarter inch tape, but there were successive generations of tape and storage media, but the hard drives were pretty small back then. And so you had to do, you were, it was just constant I remember stress. how stressful it was because you would tape a bunch of stuff and the tapes were expensive, but still manageable. Mm -hmm. And then to edit, you would download a low res version of the tape and you had to save the tape so you'd save all the time codes of the editing in the computer with and then when you would render it it would read oh, the EDL. Yeah. It would it would take the high res footage from the tapes again because you just couldn't store it, it, another funny story is there's a Dutch video artist called Arnout Mick. Do you know his work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a pretty interesting work, a kind of bizarre, surreal, strange. Yeah. And he had a retrospective at the Stalik, and I was there with a friend who's a filmmaker. And he's like, this is funny, because it was from the early 80s till maybe 2010. And he's like, this is exactly the era that moving images looked crappy. Because before, <laughs> it was film, and even 8mm is charming and uh, flattering. And then it went to bad video, then to bad digital video. 
And now that all these SLRs are starting to look more cinematic, that's when he stopped. So he, he had exactly the era of bad image quality. But the problem with the era of good image quality is the era of like hard drive space. You you just like imagine like, oh, it totally caught up. Oh, sorry, my cat is making some noise. Um, but it didn't really catch up, right? Like it, um, like if I was to shoot all 4K all the time, or yeah. even when I do like consistent screen grabs, my hard drive, I'm constantly managing. No, uh, I know, I know. I, I follow yeah. some YouTube channels like Marquez Brownlee or Linus Tech Tips, oh, I yeah. think from Canada. And they, they have all these videos of their servers and their rack mounts with all the video. And uh, it, it, I mean, their video quality is probably even better than CNN, but and they're doing it all. But it's a lifestyle. It's, you're not light. You're not traveling. It's like just, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, like I like that's why I was confused. But when you were like, yeah, the future is like video NFTs because your like original thesis of like an algorithm that generates the work is so beautiful for how little space it's yeah. right. It's like yeah, like just a little nugget of code that yeah. can well, produce most, like yeah. The most of my works are under two hundred k, and then uh, wow. they're infinite in resolution and in duration. Yeah. But the, they're like they're like Game Boy video games. They're like these beautiful small things. Yeah, that just like fly through but the, the air. That all sounds cool, <laughs> but then in reality, often in exhibitions, especially the ones in in public space, you have to render a video for stability. And so yeah. I would reluctantly make a video because it's like I have this perfect file that's sixty six kilobytes or whatever, and then I have to render it into a ten gig limited <laughs> lossy file, and yeah. It's just frustrating and and annoying, but I did it because you know you're showing your work on Times Square. You don't want the script to crash. Yeah. And so you you do it, and then reluctantly, but as I started doing it better and focusing on it, I saw the benefits, and I saw oh, the playback is so much smoother. And so in theory, those websites are perfect, but actually, when you play them, there are hiccups. JavaScript is very taxing on the CPU. And so it always feels like you're um, looking at an unfinished work. Mm. Well, I mean, which some like, people like that his, feeling, but yeah. I mean, for me, like that, I started to lean into live performances that were not recorded. Um, and that was like the best file storage method. It's called like human brain file the social, storage. The social storage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it, and the the hypothesis was like, if I create an, if I do that enough, the collective memory will be greater than the memory of all the hard drives on the planet. And, you know, that's kind of part of the original thesis of video, which was because early on in the 1970s it was extreme, like magnetic tape was not as stable as it ended up becoming. And it's still not really even very stable. Like if you have tapes, you know, they there's a life expectancy they're like a body that decays over time or like an organic um you know they're almost like organic in that way but and so a lot of video was created with this idea that it would die like that it was yeah just like a, like a ghost almost that you could like or spectra that you could you could conjure momentarily and then you know for a brief time and then yeah. of course it would also fade but then the, what, yeah. what happened was that collective memory that you're talking about the internet is actually it's supposed to be that yeah it, and that's the point with memes is uh people love them so much that everyone has a copy of them yeah 
and and so what happens is things get remixed and uh, etc and then i think we were used to meme spreading and video spreading and then always being there and sometimes one of your favorites just disappears and you're like where did it go and now the idea with nfts is that oh we can find out who the author was and they can upload the pure first version and it will be there forever and let's lock this in yeah, and I think like um, if you know if we look at our friends over at Rhizome, um, they acknowledged this problem quite a few years ago, where they're like, okay, they're you know because obviously one of the the solutions to file storage, if we're just like to make it super simple for for everyone, is that you would upload it to the internet, right? The idea being that on the internet, like it could be widely distributed or, or like a platform like YouTube or something like that, and of course they have backups, right? So who cares? But you know what we didn't realize, obviously, or maybe we did, but we didn't care early on is that those platforms might die or that like, you know, someone, uh, something might change about them that changes the meaning of the work. And so um, the, the the concept of like an internet archive um, became a thing, right? And, yeah. you know, Rising was just one organization that started to take that on. What, what, maybe what I'm trying to say, what I said in the beginning also, is like, think about what you want to keep is the best preservation strategy always is to make something that's interesting to other people. If mm, if it's of interest to other people, then someone will, and the more people are interested in it, the higher chance that it survives. Well, you're reminding me that like one of the preservation strategies artists would have used prior to the digital era would have been the collector, right? Like, so I'm going to get my work into the hands of different collections. And when I say collector, it could also be a museum or institution, right? And they will preserve this thing. It's not my problem. Like, I'm going to use like, you know, um, mustard and hot dogs, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, which yeah. is an actual example, and, you know, smear them all over the wall, and then the museum can figure they it can out. They can figure it out, yeah. Yeah. And then from what I've heard is there are collectors who, you know, everyone starts out with a few paintings and works on the wall, and then they get excited, and they're like, oh, I want to collect a performance, I want to collect a video, I want to collect a workshop, I want to collect all kinds of strange things. And before you know it, they have this huge box filled with tapes and weird data, and then they're like, "Now what?" Yeah. And and yeah, it does. Re- and it, it it reminds me of like when when you're a family and you have all these old uh, Super Eight film strips and tapes, and who really makes the effort to preserve those? It's it's it, it, I know, it requires I have a bunch on DVD. Yeah. We transferred a bunch of ours to DVD, but I'm now like terrified because the DVDs don't read well. I'm like, ooh, I don't want to put it in the player. Yeah, but again. It's that same thing I was saying, like, do we really have to save everything or is it kind of refreshing to start over? That's a, that's a good point. And it's probably like, you know, the meta point to this whole thing, which is why, you know, why do we need, why does the art, why is the artist compelled to save? Like from very early on, it's embedded. I don't know who was the first person to say, like, you better save everything because that's your first, you're compelled to do that at first. Um, and then I've known artists that have just thrown away all of their work or cleaned out their studios, like you said. And, you know, it's not like they lost their value or their career, right? It's your 100 photos thing. They're like, no, no, a bunch of this stuff's actually worthless. Um, but I think it's maybe because of these legends of like someone walking into Picasso's studio and picking up a, a sketch, you know, and it being worth a million dollars. Like last week, I think there was a Leonardo da Vinci sketch that sold for a record amount, like yeah. 100 million or something. Yeah, the, yeah million. The, the argument to save everything would be that you as an artist are not the best uh, observer of your own work so maybe it's better to let others decide later what's worth keeping and 
if you already throw away things, maybe other people will be like, oh, you're really onto something here, and you, you, you didn't feel very confident, and you're like, I don't know oh, if yeah. this is a work. And Well, my favorite example, you know, coming back to Ben, actually, was the Warhol actually did a series of, like, digital paintings um, for an Amiga, like, showcase, like, back in the 1980s. Yeah, he was making portraits of Blondie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On stage. And there's a famous YouTube video I think we've mentioned on the podcast before. It's really delightful to watch, actually. Um, But no one knew if these files still existed. Anyway, a bunch of people did get together and they figured out they did. I think it was actually Corey Archangel did a residency at the Warhol Museum and was like, oh, let's go through these floppy disks. It was Corey. Yeah, you're right. Um, And he was shocked to find that they were able to retrieve the data, right? Yeah. and I can't remember who was assisting. There were a bunch of sorry, apologies to our listeners. There, there was some technical assistance, I think. I don't think Corey did it all alone. But um, that idea that something was still there, like digital, like wh- what I think was in, in my mind, what I observed was like we were shocked to find out that something digital was present because there's this assumption, I think, that is maybe even inherent in this question, which is like the digital we have is, is unstable, it's not fixed. Yes. Um, and, it is and it yeah. isn't. It is. So Warhol was famous for storing everything in what he called capsules, and they were just these cardboard yeah. uh, shoebox type of boxes. And he would just have a messy desk, and he's like, okay, throw it all in a box, put a date on it. And so the Warhol Museum just has rooms and rooms filled with all these boxes They haven't even stuff. opened all the boxes. Yeah, and so it's like some magazines, some maybe a pocket knife and some pencils and maybe a phone or whatever, Polaroids. Um, he, I mean, he, he produced so much stuff. And then the digital is kind of the same. You could save everything and then your phone is full and then you pay some more for iCloud storage and yeah, you just keep going. So I, I think you were talking about back in the day when hard drives were so expensive and now it's more like your Gmail can handle so much. So when you think of Gmail as an archive of a person's being and thoughts, yeah. It's, it's I'm shocked when I when I meet an inbox zero person, like a person who deletes. Oh, email. that's me. It's shocking to me. Yeah. yeah, because I have like reached long ago reached the <coughs> Gmail maximum and entered into several tiers of pricing that go beyond that. Because for me, Gmail <laughs> welcome is to our to our platinum members. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Gmail is the ultimate archive of at least in my correspondence and communication. It would be like you know letters between I'm, I'm convinced lo- lovers that- in the war. I'm convinced that Google was started by an alien life form who wanted to learn about humans. Mm-hmm. They're like, how can yeah. we find out more about these humans? There's stories of people like recreating AI versions of like loved ones from the data in their in their Gmail or whatever, mm-hmm. like chatbots. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I, I personally don't understand that in in regards to like that's clearly not the person. It'd be like, I don't want to talk to like a you know, a robot version of a loved one, but whatever. Um, we should say, though, that what, what, like, I should ask you, like, what do you do today? Like, well, what do you do? What I, is your actual... In in a sense, if I purely look at the digital work, maybe that's a more interesting angle than uh, documentation of physical work, because all my shows, I just save the photos on my laptop, whatever. But with the digital work, kind of the domain names were the archival unit. That was the mm-hmm. way I organized my, my works. And that was how I separate things from being a test or being a finished work. And so over the years, you create all these domain names, and some are sold, some are not. And actually, for a lot of collectors, I would still manage the domain name. And as it piles up, 
you lose motivation to make more work because you just feel like, oh, it's just going to be more stuff to manage. So mm-hmm. NFT came along and I had not released a website in two years because I was just like, I don't want to deal with a thousand domain names by the time I'm 90 and I'm going to forget. And the, so this idea of NFT and it really being out of your hands once it's sold mm-hmm. just just really appealed to me. So maybe that's why I'm saying don't save too much because I do think this idea that if your studio becomes a warehouse, yeah, uh, maybe you're and and that's to your point of like the full hard drive. If if your computer is kind of buggy and crashing, you just don't feel like making more work. Well, I mean, in my particular physical space, it's very small. So anything that comes into our house, I have to get rid of. And a few years ago, I had to throw away like tons of my electronics and wires and stuff like that. Stuff that I considered like almost like my museum of. I mean, I have a bunch of it still, but. I only throw out duplicates to, to an example, but like, it's hard. Like, even if you get catalogs, like I have, I just got a catalog shipment today and I have like three of the same catalog on my bookshelf. Like, I'm not going to open any of them kind of thing. Oh, I know? throw away all catalogs. Really? All your catalogs? You yeah, I take a picture of the cover and then of the page that my work is featured on and then it's a goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So you could send them to your mom at least. What is she um, going to do with it? She has too many books also. And, and this is not some high horse, like, uh, it, it's just, man, I, I don't know. I think I just moved many times, so I had to, but. No, you're right about for that. For a while, I, I collected it, and then I just had this one bookshelf filled with magazines and catalogs that I never opened. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I have that, my storage locker down in my basement is full of art, old tapes, um, catalogs. And it's down there, and it's not great a great situation from a climate control standpoint, I'll say that. My, like, my gallery used to store my works, but they ran out of space. So, you know, it just becomes this burden over time that accumulates. And I never thought I'd be in that position as a digital artist. I, and I used to do this thing where I had a two-hard drive system, so everything would get backed up. But in a way, it, the archiving of the catalogs is, is you making a backup of the world, making a backup of your wor- work. So well, the, I would often like lose track of the backups, or is this backup? No, no. So but what I mean is, it, and, it, yeah. like someone is writing about you, so in a way they're doing the archiving yeah. for you, and then you're oh, archiving right. their efforts. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I yeah, mean, it, a, I, I used to. It, it's it's very normal to want to save everything. So I used to, on my blog, every time there was a news feature, I would archive it on my blog, and there was a press section, so you could see wherever I was mentioned and be yeah. as complete as possible. And then at some point I'm like, why would I announce that I'm in this magazine when the magazine is trying to bring attention to me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but maybe that's my point. It's like when people are making an effort to archive you, why are you archiving them? Well, yeah, I, 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 for a long, long time, and I still have a bunch of works are in a collection here in Canada for video artists where they actually, that they're professionals at archiving. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being pissed off at them because they wouldn't take digital files. Like, everything had to be transferred to digital beta. And they were still using tapes. Yeah, that's expensive. This huh? day. Yeah, I had to pay, like, it was like your NFT thing, though. Like, I had to pay 150 bucks or something each time I put a work into the archiver collection. And then they were like, oh, we'll take care of this for the rest of time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I don't know. This deal doesn't seem quite right. Yeah. Um, but it actually, it's a, it's an awesome deal when you think yeah. about it. I do um, want to give a shout out to Lima, the Dutch yeah. institution. It's sort of the 
similar to Rhizome, but they came from the video era. And now they have uh, what is called art hosts, so they will host NetArt. And then collectors can pay, but it's much easier for a collector to do that than to do to go to uh, Namecheap or some other hosting company, GoDaddy, and be all confused. So yeah. this is more specialized, and they'll take care of... Uh, it, it, I don't know if maintenance is included in the price, but I do know that they can help a lot, they know a lot, and they can find the right yeah. people. And So yeah. I've, I've been migrating my websites to them, and so it'll take a few years, and then... Yeah. Well, I stopped. I stopped entering my works into this. V tape was the one I mentioned their collection, but I'm thinking of calling them back up and being like, "Hey, do you want all this stuff that I created in interim?" Because like, I stopped probably eight or nine years ago. But it it um, is interesting that you really this fear of of uh, digital hoarding can be so cumbersome and and so demotivating that you decided, okay, I'm just going to do performances and not even document them. And I, I feel like we're hitting a nerve where mm-hmm. you, you, should, you should create a setting where you feel free to create without anxiety. And, and, you, and, and a big part of removing anxiety is it not piling up. And I, well, that was the point. Yeah. yeah, for me anyway, live performance is that freedom. Um, and if anyone else wants to take a recording, sure, go for it. Like, but it's not my problem. Like, I'm just going to enjoy the event the making of the thing yeah and and that's why for me nft felt like this bolt of energy of like oh i love making moving images but i just don't want to be the manager of the whole body of work and this this feeling that you're free afterwards after the sale and it's out there and um Mm -hmm. that and i i've heard from a lot of people doing nfts that it doesn't even for a lot of people, it doesn't make that much money, but it feels nice that there's a permanent home for it outside of you. Well, we should mention that like an NFT itself is not an archive of the work. So the work actually is archived by the on the IPFS, right? The International or Interplanetary, Interplanetary File System. <laughs> file system. I still don't yeah. know how it works, who pays for it, but... Well, the Interplanetary Association. <laughs> so it's a bunch of NFT-related organizations that all together pool in and they pay for the storage. Is that how it works? I don't know. Like one of the things when you upload a work to Foundation, you can test upload it before you mint it. And I don't think, yeah. And and what I don't understand is you can save that URL, you can test it on other devices, and I I tried it a month later, it was still there. So there must be a lot of videos that are just, and I think they're at a scale where you don't think about one terabyte here, one terabyte there. So. But I think the concept of IPFS is that it's not in one place. It's in many places at once. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's not like it's it's networked file storage. So, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> the idea is it's supposed to last a really, really long time and it's distributed and redundant. Um, but the, the only thing I would say about this kind of storage is that it does get cheaper over time. So to save older videos that are 50 megabytes in 20 years, is like saving 50 kilobytes. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it gets <clears> easier <throat> like and time. easier over time. But but to your point... File sizes get bigger. File sizes get bigger. Like, I think that's the whole machine. They keep uh, upping the resolution, even if our eyes mm-hmm. can't perceive the difference. Yeah. Like the yeah, story exactly. that, that my friends bought a 4K television and they moved it closer to the couch so they could see the difference. <laughs> well, there's like 8K TVs now too, right? So Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> like at a certain point, you're just... you're 
I mean, maybe there will be eventually a limit where we're like, okay, it's close enough to reality, like it's molecular <laughs> in detail or something. <laughs> but um, what, we, what is lacking that in video quality for you, objectively, that you're like, oh, I wish this would be closer to the way I perceive the world? I think it's what you said earlier. It's usually like a bigger difference to the quality of video is going to be the lens on the camera than anything else, right? Yeah. Like the glass. And the size of, of the reached- sensor? Yeah, exactly, on the size of the sensor. So it's ability to like filter light one to one from the lens to the yeah. to the um, to the sensor. That is the fact. Like, so so know, that wouldn't necessarily uh, result in bigger files. It's just better recording quality. Well, like I had a better camera optics. called a, a Huddle Cam that I had someone sent me for an interview recently, and it was a 4K camera, but it cropped the image so that you could like center your face in it oh yeah <laughs> or like so it like downsampled um so downsampling might be something i don't know but like we're we're at that point now where there's excess data and so we're like well why don't we like subsample the data yeah uh, which i think is kind of interesting that we're, we've reached that kind of pinnacle i don't think that was true def that was definitely not true a decade ago or more i can remember when people were like 70 720p is enough you know but it, you could very clearly you know, kind of see the issues with it. And I obviously I remember interlaced television and the idea that I could only have half of the resolution <laughs> yeah. per frame. I remember that like you would shoot something on the little camera and then attach it with firewire and you do something wrong in the settings and you'd see all these stripes. Yeah, yeah, that's the interlacing. So yeah. and you could deinterlace it, but then anyway, long story short, like we've come a long way and you're right. There was some ugliness to the. But there's also some beauty, I think, yeah. frankly, in like a, a eroded signal. But I, I want to say something about uh, generative images versus video. And so, in the case of my work, I, you know, in in our scene of new media, it's always like software is pure, video is compromised, blah blah blah. Even with you, like with AI. And, but then, what I notice is now that I'm working on videos and optimizing them and there's something about having the ultimate version of the software encapsulated in a one and a half minute loop that you can mm-hmm. then text the people, you can post on social media, all the stuff you can't do with the generative work. It's so funny to hear you say this though, because it's like no, I know you arrived at the end of the dinner party. Well, like, but no, but one of the reasons why is like for a long time playback of video, getting that to be synchronous, like and without skipping frames, like in the digital era was actually a really difficult yeah. challenge. In fact, yeah, yeah, like yeah. many friends of ours put out video looping video players for that reason that were database. And I can remember the day where I finally didn't have to have a DVD player at the gallery. It was like a huge day because DVD is like, you know, horrific. Um, yeah. And yeah, so like the bandwidth that was ca- you were capable of presenting was very low. Yeah, but what, what I meant more was like, I always said websites are the purest form of the internet and it's code and blah, blah, blah. But now that I was texting people like, oh, this is my new work and it's not a link, but you're actually sending them the work. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what the internet is, not web pages. But I, the one thing you have to acknowledge, <clears throat> and maybe we're too off track, it's like a different um, podcast now, but it's like, you're filtering that through a codec. And so it is inherently lossy to say like they're taking, you're taking your signal and you're actually removing, unless you're using like an animation codec, you're actually removing data yeah. from yeah. your original output. So yeah, there are artifacts to the codec. It's not lossless, yeah. as they say. Yeah. But uh, and like, the way I feel is uh, people who collect the NFT, they have the video and then 
in the future, if it has to be rendered at, at a higher resolution, I can export it again in, at a higher resolution or lossless or adapted to a different screen size. Like that instruction, I will save. Okay. And so now we're back in our famous, our famous or familiar territory of the solo wit, which is like, is, you know, is the instruction the, like the ability to record versus the recording itself, the instruction, which says anyone can create from this point forward, yeah. no matter at what point in time and create something yeah, that's different, true. but you know, I, and, and it is, as I'm making those videos from the, the scripted, uh, generative image, I do see that there's an artistic decision. It's mm -hmm. not anyone can just hit record. Like every time you hit record, it's a little different. Yeah, even the color is different depending on the codec that you use. Yeah. If it's HDR or not. The screen obviously come factors in, and so all of this stuff. I think that's re it is actually worth bringing it up because then it, it hits the archive at some point because you're like, well, do I su save this like the super raw version of this? Do I like save the codec version? Yeah. At some point, I made a decision. I would just like save stuff as MP4 because that's how I was recording it. And you know it was fine. Like I know that the quality is bad. Yeah, and I think in the, in the case of your era. work, I think it, it's it, it is it makes it feel of a certain time, and that's fine. Yeah, it's not like Bill Viola, like we were talking about last episode, where like I need I, I need you to celebrate the magic of how high quality it is. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I was always poking fun at technology. Um, so yeah. for me, I, I I am fraught though with conflict in regards to. What should I save versus not? And so my strategy a few years ago, as hard drives were failing constantly because they have a shelf life, um, and even SSDs, you can only write and read from them a certain number of times, um, I decided everything is just going to go on Dropbox. And so, um, so, far, so I don't good. know if that's good. Like someone write in, but like, yeah, so far so good, actually. And then the biggest issue I've had is the size of that archive is quite large, like it's in terabytes. Um, unfortunately, when I go in f to look for something, I didn't come up with like a naming convention for anything because it's like all my raw files. And so there have been aye, many aye, aye. occasions where I'm like, the Dropbox search is terrible. Like it, it doesn't really have any context for what these files are when they're yeah. like, maybe when, but not why. And I think that that's something that we're still missing. To your point about like the storage container, you could have a storage container full of stuff, but, you know, you have to find that one little yeah. thing in the well, back of the storage it, container. It, it gets to a point where at some point you have to decide, uh, are you a single artist or a company? Because at some point you just need help. Yeah. And you need someone to go through all those things and label them. But that's as, a good point. And, so, and then you can focus on new work and someone else is doing the archiving. But very few artists. And it, it, it's one of those things, if you ask someone else to archive, it's... 10 times the amount of work because they don't know which which is which so mm -hmm. um no but you, you're reminding me of like a i was watching this hbo show called hacks i don't know if you've seen it um it's kind of funny but there's like a comedian she's been around for like 40 or 50 years and she hires another writer to help her write comedy and then you know she gives her the job of the archive like organize the archive like it's the last job at the end of her life you know <laughs> like and it's a nightmare job <laughs> like no yeah. one wants to do this job um and i know that's why there are like you know professional archivists and librarians that like love organizing information there's whole companies like google that want to organize the world's information but it, for the artist it seems so contradictory like if we're just to come back to like yeah, the spirit of making, be, be the crazy know? creative person, but also be very organized. Yeah. Now, by the way, yeah, like all this crazy stuff you're creating, like 
flip into this other mode every once in a while where you like diligently label it and like you know choose the right archive <laughs> and then method. and then take some peyote and yeah <laughs> yeah so I, i'm still i'm coming back to like the i think the um the hot dogs and mustard on the wall they like uh, i mean one of the problems is we're, we're talking about very successful artists like if the hot talk- dogs and mustard artist. yeah and mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about paul mccarthy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so there, there's that's what I mean. Like, if your work is interesting to other people, everything else will follow. So there's so many people who want Paul McCarthy's work that you know, even uh, if he dies, it'd be like there will be a foundation that makes money from selling the inventory, and they have a vested interest in cataloging everything right. to retain the they'll value. Like, they'll build like a factory for mustard. Or something. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and like a specific kind of mustard. <laughs> but that's you're basically bringing up the fame argument, mm-hmm. and that's the way to, to to archive things. And and so the artists should then just just uh, work harder. <laughs> no, as always, like the the only solution is to become a legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the solution that I've chased uh, my whole life, but I don't think it's viable for 99.9% no, of folks, no. including myself. So, so some people are legends and the drop boxes for the rest. Well, then, you're, you know, you, the good, good, good point is, this is like <laughs> the super good point here would be, you know, you were talking about throwing away um, a certain number of photos every year. To a certain extent, like, you know, once you're in a coffin, people are going to do that for you anyway. Um, and I do wonder, like, because I've been, you know, upset sometimes where museums don't want to keep something that I created. They're like, okay, it's in the dumpster. Like, here's the proof. You know, like, we don't, we're, we don't own this and you don't own it. No one owns it. And you're like, well, couldn't someone have owned it? Like, <laughs> that have been nice. But at, at some point, you're someone else's problem, right? Like your body, all your stuff, all your work. You're an accumulation of all of this information and data. And... It's interesting, I think, in context of the recent tech history, because like tech companies were the first to come along and say, like, whoa, 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 don't throw that away. Yeah, <laughs> like, keep everything. Yeah, that that like uh, that fuzzy image of a bus by the side of the road, we can use that for like our self-driving algorithm. <laughs> well, not only that, but the, the you can see you're a, a Dropbox client for life. You're a Gmail client for life. You're never going to leave. Yeah, yeah, but I they started like. We have this term, and yeah, like I remember first being introduced to this term in tech. I went to a conference, and someone was like, "Of course, this was years ago." They're like, "Of course, the future is data lakes," and I was like, "What data? What data lakes? Right? Like this huge?" And I was like, "What's that? It's like a huge pool of unorganized data." <laughs> <laughs> and then like, and then we'll create search. order from it at some yeah. point in the future. I'm yeah, always amazed that people, oh, Google's a monopoly, blah blah blah, but their search is really superior. If you compare well, it to Dropbox, they have they're doing that really hard problem like of like hiring the archivist, right? So instead, like let's design algorithms um, to do this for us because the the scale is now beyond human. It's like I think it's like in terms of the evolution of the planet, right? You have, you hear about the Anthropocene, but I think there's this like parallel scene which is like the 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 like internet version of that like whatever the data version of is that like because we've 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 gone beyond the physical archaeology right where you can see in the layers of the earth human you know development and now there's this like layers in the air or layers in the the vibes archives of vibes the metaverse layers of metaverse now that we're 
you know, that that archaeology and that archaeology is already managed not by humans. Yeah. It's already managed by algorithms. And um, I don't know if when like my childhood self who was like, should I back up this VHS or not would have been like, one day the algorithm will figure it out for me. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Well, I, I hope this was somewhat helpful. I, I don't think this was a sort of best practice episode of like do A, B, C and D, but that's not why well, we're I, here. Well, I guess like, my, yeah, the thing I would say is that I've tried to be responsible and that I've been irresponsible. Like, you know, I have things in like little plastic sleeves and, you know, in a special place in my house. But um, I don't know, like I, I can't deal with the stress. Like it, it is suffocating to your point. I think that was a really good point, which is like, well, I, I think creati- so creativity is is very fickle. Like you have to be careful. It, 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 there's so much anxiety and, and it's so hard to just focus and sit down and uh, you know I'm really I, I've received so much support from the whole world from collectors and institutions and, and grants and I've, I've received every layer of, of uh, thumbs up you could imagine and still every time I'm afraid to make a new work oh, I yeah. don't know and so if, if you create a solutions. setting where your life is full of distractions and, and so storage is another distraction, it, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there are like simple solutions out there, but they also eventually fall apart, right? Like the limits of physical space. I was thinking like, you know, you can frame, a, you know, print something and frame it, right? That's actually like a really stable way of protecting a work for a long period of time. But then you run out of wall, wall space, which has happened to me. You know, yeah. like, and then you know. the, the sunlight eats the work. And, uh, yeah. 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 I, mean, I still love the, the idea of the algorithm being the the thing that can generate it in the future. Like, let's yeah. save the seed, not the plant. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that idea. But I, I do like, in theory, like not holding on to anything and, and this idea of Buddhist sand paintings and the, they're an instruction and every now and then you create it and it's about the ritual and not about keeping it mm-hmm. I like it all in theory but I just grew up in a way in, in in our western art history where everything is about the the whole goal of the artist is to get things into the archive if you think of art history as the big archive yeah but I come from the opposite history like the Fluxus history was one yeah. to get it off or out of the archive make it impossible to put it in the archive yeah um, I'm just saying, like, even though I, that's my philosophy, I st- it still kind of eats at me. And I can understand why our listeners, and, and, and in particular why Sophie, you know, would be anxious about this or, or ask this question. Because it's a question that we still haven't resolved. Like, my Sorry. point about, you know, yeah, well, performance people that, like me, they still are like, well, you know, it better get good documentation, right? And um, Yeah, and then you become a, a documentation uh, person full-time because it's... To, I can't. I yeah, can't, I can't do it. No. <laughs> well, let's. Right, well, thank let's you for the question. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, we have a, a a sound a field recording from Graham Gnall. Okay, we should remind Gnall. people because we we might have new listeners. Who knows? Maybe it's always just a slowly sliding scale towards zero. But like, um, for our old listeners, yeah, we used to do field recordings. For our new listeners, we used to do field recordings. The idea was, we'd like to hear you know, from where you are, um, hear the soundscape of your world and your life. And it's a what nice What are you noticing? Kind of, yeah, what are you observing? Yeah. And so what is this a field recording of? Wind chimes and, wait, I'm looking at the file now, in, in our Dropbox. 
Wind chimes, creaky porch, and motorcycle in Waitsfield. What is VT? Which state is that? Vermont. Vermont. Waitsfield, Vermont. Yeah. Mm, creaky porch sounds lovely. Yeah. So thank you, Graham. Thank you, Sophie Ringstadt, for the question. And please send more questions and field recordings. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.